Thank you, Tina and Dorothy and Steve. I'm constantly amazed. Actually, I'm not anymore. I'm used to it after working with Steve Main for 20 years that uh, the text that he chooses and the music he chooses to play fits what I want to say so well in my sermon. Uh, it's almost like we talk to each other during the week or something like that. So, <laughs> Anyway, um, this morning I'm continuing a brief, very brief, two-part sermon series, if you will, on the topic of spiritual formation. And uh, it's just a brief introduction to uh, something that we're going to be talking about and doing a whole lot more here at Piedmont Community Church in the next months and years as we continue to try to consciously cooperate with God in the work of, of transformation, transformation of ourselves, of our lives, of our inner lives, our, our, our outward, uh, the way that we live our lives outwardly as well. But more than an introduction, it's an invitation for you to do something, to cooperate consciously with God as the Spirit shapes you into the person you were made to be. So uh, last week I called this our inward-outward journey together with God, with each other, in ourselves, to listen deeply to how the Spirit is uh, moving you on an inward basis, moving you from the inside, connecting with your own spirit, and then to act boldly outward in actually trying to do the sorts of things that Jesus did in his life, loving, healing, and serving others, or as the piece that Tina just sang says, to be more like the master I would grow, more of his love to others show, that all his face in mine might see, more like the master I would be. That's what this is all about. And that's what our life together as Christians is all about too. So today I'm going to talk a bit more about the inward journey that we're on together uh, with God, with one another, and it seems especially appropriate as we come to the season of Lent this week, which is a time for us to, to really pay more attention to that inward journey that we're on. So sorry for disappearing for a moment there. The scripture lesson today is all about that. Now I chose... Uh, to read it from a version, a translation uh, of, the, of the Bible by Eugene Peterson called The Message, because I really think that his uh, phrasing fits so well what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 4 and what I think we need to hear today. So listen now for God's word to you from 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Now you've been raised on the message of the faith and have followed sound teaching. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Now pass on this counsel to the followers of Jesus there, and you'll be a good servant of Jesus. Stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. You can count on this. Take it to heart. This is why we've thrown ourselves into this venture so totally. We're banking on the living God, Savior of all men and women, 
especially believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we pray that you will give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand as best we can your word and your world this day, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the other day I was awakened by a phone call at 6.30 in the morning. It was from my beloved son, Griffin, who lives in New York. Three-hour time difference, of course. Now, anytime you get a call, a phone call that early in the morning, there are usually two possibilities of what's going on, right? Either something is wrong or you've been pocket-dialed which is a euphemism for another way of saying when a phone accidentally rings because you sat on it. All right, anyway, or if somebody called you because they sat on it. Anyway, in this case, something was wrong. Not, no big deal. It was the battery in his car was dead and he needed some advice from dear old dad. And my advice was the same that I always give anytime somebody in my family calls me up in a panic saying, the battery's dead. I always say, call AAA. That's why I pay for it. <laughs> but groggy as I was the other day, I also had a chance to do something that's getting increasingly rare these days, to give my 22-year-old son some fatherly advice. So I reveled in that. And I told him what little I know about car batteries. <laughs> First, okay, am I the last person to get the news on this? But there are now these relatively cheap devices that you can keep in your car and charge at home that you can use to jump your own battery without relying on somebody else. Do you know about that? I guess I am the last person to know. Well, I got one and it's pretty cool and it works. It's now part of what I would call my car repair toolkit. And I actually bought one on Amazon yesterday and sent it to my son as well. Then I told him the second part of my car battery maintenance toolkit, which isn't a device, but a practice. So, remember when we were all stuck at home for months on end during the COVID pandemic. Remember that? <laughs> Who could forget? Well, our cars were kept pretty idle too. So <laughs> my car was basically stuck out on the street along with everybody else's for weeks at a time and my battery died like four times in nine months. And then finally this friendly guy from AAA came over and uh, he said, you know, with all the fancy computerized gadgets and all the cars these days, they suck a ton of juice from your battery, whether or not they're moving. Now, don't get me started on electric cars. I also have one of those. But for lots of gas-driven cars, you have to make a habit of driving them about once a week or so to keep the battery charged, especially older cars like mine. So I passed that advice on to my son, too, uh, whose battery actually died again yesterday, but that's a whole other thing. Anyway, the bottom line is this. For a car to do what it's made to do, that is, to move, you have to move it 
on a regular basis. And the same thing goes for people. For us to do what we were made to do, to live and love like Jesus, you know, when the Spirit says move, you got to move, as the old song says. And that's what Paul's getting at in his letter to Timothy. Now, you probably or may remember that Timothy was sort of like Paul's protege in ministry. He was sort of like his son in a way. And he's starting out in his first call, his first job as a pastor of a little, little group of Christians, which we'd call a church, I guess, but this is 2,000 years ago, those who were called into community in Christ. And among other things, Paul tells Timothy that he already knows enough about the gospel of Jesus. That is, he's got enough information in his head, but he needs to realize that preaching the message of love and new life in Jesus fully means more than just passing on knowledge with your words. It's showing people what you know by how you act. And that requires developing some consistent habits that allow you to live into the truth of what you're saying to people. And so this is what Paul says to Timothy. Exercise daily in God. Because workouts in the gym are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. Now, I realize, you know, you heard the word discipline in there, and, you know, I know the word discipline can have a tendency sometimes to rub people the wrong way. It sounds too much like punishment, you know, getting punishment for doing something wrong or breaking a rule, but, but that's not what it means here. Discipline refers to a practice or a set pattern of behaviors that you take on to train, to strengthen, to, or to perfect your ability to accomplish a long-term goal. You know, like, I don't know, running a marathon or a, a triathlon or uh, playing a beautiful musical piece like uh, Dorothy and Steve and Tina just did. In fact, uh, Dorothy told me this morning that she's been practicing that first piece she played 24 hours a day for seven days. And I said, you mean you don't sleep, Dorothy? <laughs> She's in there laughing at me. Anyway, that's what discipline is. That's what it means in Christian spirituality, too. A spiritual discipline is a method or a habit you take on to allow the Spirit to shape you into becoming more like Jesus. It doesn't happen all at once. It takes work. It takes commitment. Even as God's spirit is constantly jump-starting your own spiritual battery. Now, clearly there are times in our lives when it is hard to connect to God. When it's hard to even consider uh, doing something in a disciplined way to, to grow in faith. In our stages of, class, uh, stages of faith class that's been meeting the last uh, three weeks after church, and that's meeting again today, and it's going to meet again next week, we have heard about a concept of the wall, the wall, that we face at certain points in our lives uh, in, on our journey of spiritual formation. And maybe, 
Maybe that's where you are right now. For all sorts of reasons, you're at a place in life where you feel disconnected from God or from Christianity or from other Christians. What used to work in your faith just doesn't seem to cut it anymore, doesn't address your needs for healing or hope or release or for answers. Let me tell you from experience, both as a pastor and just personally, that is not unusual at all. It is a normal part of the life of faith to face a wall or to come to a time when things just seem blocked up in your relationship with God. The writer Ruth Haley Barton talks about a time in her life when there was an unrest at the core of my being, she writes. And then she told somebody about what she was going through, and this is how the person responded to her. Ruth, you're like a jar of river water, all shaken up. What you need is to sit still long enough so the sediment can settle and the water can become clear. That's a beautiful metaphor. Have you ever felt like that, though? You just feel shook up inside, not yourself. Maybe you feel that way now. But whether or not your spiritual water is murky right now in this present moment, I invite you to take an opportunity to settle down, to let it settle down just for a while. And that, brothers and sisters, is what the season of Lent is for. You know, in my Protestant family growing up, I didn't have any idea at all about Lent. We didn't celebrate it, didn't talk about it. I guess all I knew about Lent was that it was sort of a Catholic thing, you know, where you, I don't know, abstain from eating fish on Friday or you don't eat meat or you know, whatever it is for a few weeks. I'm not putting that down. I just didn't know anything about it. But that changed when I got to seminary in my 30s. And I realized there was a whole lot more to this idea of using 40 days, 40 nights, as a time of preparation in order to, 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 to experience the full impact of the good news of Easter, of freedom and release a new life. You need to get ready to be prepared in some way to receive the fullness of that grace. The late Peter Gomes was the chaplain for many years at Harvard, and he writes this. Why bother with Lent? Because it allows for us, for me in particular, a form of spiritual practice. Musicians understand this, that is, the good ones. And no musician will remain a good musician long without regular practice. It is a discipline, this practice that enables freedom. The freedom to create, the freedom to share beauty, to experience it. Not a freedom that avoids discipline. Vladimir Horowitz, the great pianist, said, if I skip practice one day, I know it. 
If I skip practice two days, the critics know it. And if I skip practice three days, then everybody knows it. So Lent is Christian practice time. Or getting back to uh, St. Paul's uh, metaphor from athletics, Lent is spring training for the soul. So as I said, the season starts this week on Ash Wednesday and goes through the end of Holy Week. And it's patterned, you know, after the 40 days and 40 nights that Jesus himself spent in the wilderness all by himself. As it turns out, he needed that time, that sacred time to settle down, to get away from distractions, to to come to his senses, and to prepare to withstand the temptations that came from the devil, if you remember the story, the temptations to betray his mission and break his connection to the one he called Abba Father. Jesus needed that time in order to clarify his own sense of calling and identity and purpose. He had to ask a basic question that we all face in life. That is, what do I want? What do I really want? What drives me? What moves me? What motivates me in my own life, my life with other people, my life with God? And, you know, finding an answer to a question like that, which on the surface seems pretty simple, what do I want in life? Finding a real answer takes some deep reflection. Because until you come to grips with what you really desire, like a car with a dead battery, you're going to get stuck. So, in her book called Sacred Rhythms, Ruth Barton writes that Jesus' interactions with the people he came in contact with during his life on earth made it clear that desire and the willingness to name that desire, to be honest about it, in Christ's presence, the presence of God, is a catalytic element of the spiritual life. It enables us to rise up from our place by the side of the road so we can actually get on the path to spiritual formation and follow Christ. You see, if you and I are ever going to be like Jesus, to desire the kinds of things that Jesus desired and to do the sorts of things that Jesus did, if we're ever going to get there, then we need the Spirit to work on our own desires, to sort through what leads us toward God and what leads us away. We need to get in shape spiritually. And that's what spiritual disciplines are all about. For centuries, Christians have engaged in various practices that that Jesus himself did or that he taught his disciples to do in scripture. And so the traditional spiritual disciplines, I'll just read out the list to you, one of them, consists of this. Prayer, study, fasting, solitude, silence, simplicity, service, submission, worship, celebration, and guidance, and confession. Those are the traditional spiritual disciplines. And there are lots of other practices. You can try uh, all sorts of things that can become a discipline. 
that open you up or bring you back to the Spirit. Because the truth is, you will become what you practice. You know, I was just reminded today that uh, a few years ago, our own Reverend Dottie Hutch uh, led a women's retreat on spiritual disciplines. Of course, it happened right before COVID hit. <laughs> so it was a great time to do it. And then this sort of period happened when we couldn't gather for a long time as a church. And we're going to have, you know, we're planning on having more retreats in the future, more classes on spiritual dif- disciplines. But the point is, whatever you try, there's some things I want you to remember about spiritual disciplines. First, they are absolutely not something you do to win God's favor. God already loves you intensely, exactly as you are. So taking on a discipline can only be your faithful response to God's grace that's already part of your life. Second, there's this idea that I've heard many times that only super Christians are able to get seriously involved with spiritual discipline. Like monks, you know, who can spend all day and night in prayer or contemplation. That is not true at all. The disciplines are meant to be lived out by everyday people every day, if you can manage it. You could be washing dishes, you could be driving to work, you could be putting the kids to bed, even brushing your teeth. I'll have to think about that last one for a while. But anyway, you can be doing almost anything. You know, the key is that whatever you're doing, to try to come up with a way to do it intentionally in the presence of God, to open yourself up to the Spirit, however you can do that. Or simply be aware of how God may be moving in your life with what you're doing. I was also talking today with our altar guild this morning before church. And I know that for some folks on the altar guild, the people who beautify the sanctuary at various times of the year, and doing that kind of work is a spiritual discipline. I know that people singing in the choir, for them, Singing and getting together on a regular basis, that is a spiritual discipline. I, I know that the, uh, the piece of art that you saw in the, in the messenger, in the bulletin that uh, Susie uh, did, the painting that she did of the prodigal son, art, painting can be a spiritual discipline. Journaling, reading poetry, those are two disciplines I'm going to be taking up this Lent. Just coming to worship on a regular basis or choosing to come more often on a Sunday morning. That can be a spiritual discipline. So try something out for a while and see how it works. What impact does it have on you? Does it boost your sense of God's love for you? Does it quiet your racing mind or give you a sense of peace or purpose? Does it move you to forgive or to be more considerate or compassionate to somebody else? And you know, if a, if a discipline doesn't work, try something else. You know, don't try them all or too many of them at the same time because that's a recipe for spiritual exhaustion. Just try one or two at a time. Give it a chance. After all, each one of the disciplines, 
I can tell you, each one of these disciplines can be especially suited to a particular time or a particular season in your own life, a particular issue or struggle or opening that God has for you. These disciplines can somehow be almost a perfect fit for what you're going through. So, for example, like a lot of people, I sometimes struggle with self-control, you know, kind of human. When it comes to eating too much or the wrong thing or, or just doing something else, whatever it is, self-control, you know. But I also have a desire to gain control of whatever it is that seems to be controlling me. And there's a discipline for that. What is it? Fasting. That's kind of the stereotypical Lenten discipline, fasting. So every Lent, I give up or I fast from social media, like Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. I still do email and text, but I realize I need to wean myself occasionally from this 24-7 barrage of digital noise that's all around us and it can just saturate your own life to regain my bearings, to clear up my bottle of murky water and to maintain my perspective, to recharge my batteries. Or maybe your prayer life has gone a bit flat. That happens to all of us too. Well, there's a discipline for that too. In fact, there are lots of disciplines when it comes to uh, transforming, changing, shifting your style of prayer. Uh, you know, on the, on the back of your bulletin this morning, I, I put a bunch of resources that you can use, including uh, three apps you can use on your mobile devices, for those of you who have access to apps and like to use them. One of them is called Second Breath, which I love, and this is an app that can help you with meditation, it can help you with the, what's called uh, uh, centering prayer or contemplative prayer. There's another one called Reimagining the Examine, which is looking at a, a very old practice called the Prayer of Examine that uh, St. Ignatius came up with and the Jesuits. Um, there's also another app, which one did I put in there? It was uh, Pray As You Go, which is a wonderful app that many, many people use all over this world. Um, it's produced by the Catholic Church in England to give you a disciplined way every morning or sometime during the day to, to listen to scripture, to listen to beautiful music, and to come into a time of prayer. Or, you know, like a lot of other people, a lot of people these days, you're going through a lot of stress, right? COVID, culture, whatever it is. And so you need some way to calm your mind, to calm your body. Well, there's a discipline for that too. Why don't you try coming every Tuesday, 5.30, here in the sanctuary to our Just Breathe class, where you can stretch and meditate and come to your senses and relax into the moment. Or, as I mentioned before, you can get together with other people this Lent in a life group on Thursday night to accompany one another on the inward, outward journey of faith. There are so many disciplines, so many disciplines that you can try out, that you can add and hold on to in your spiritual toolbox for whenever you need them to give you a sense of God's peace and purpose and presence. If you need some help figuring out what sort of discipline you might want to try, 
feel free to talk to me or Dottie or Steve or Scott or Steve Main too or actually anybody you can think of who seems to have some sort of growing or transforming sense of God's presence in their lives. Talk to somebody who's been in a life group, for example. Do something. But the invitation for you today is to choose something to do that you can intentionally cooperate with God in the formation of your spirit. Pay attention to what you, your desires, your hopes, your motivations are. Ask yourself, what is it that I really want in life or from God? You know, that's why I'm so excited about our upcoming workshop on the Enneagram, too. It's an ancient tool that is rooted in Christian tradition that that has become really popular these days. It can make a big impact on how you go on the inward journey in your life to have it impact your outward um, actions. But I got to tell you, whatever, whatever it is you choose to pay attention to what's going on in your own spirit, know, know that God's spirit is already working within you to shape you up and to give you the spiritual tools you need to become who you were made to be, to live and to love like Jesus and to keep on moving on that inward, outward journey together with God, with each other, and with your own soul. In Jesus' name, amen.